This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Let's get things started this morning. Last Sunday, I spoke on the topic, taking risk. This Sunday, I'm kind of going down the same path, but yet with a little different flair. And I want to I talk a little bit this morning to us on this topic, seizing opportunities. Seizing opportunities. Anybody familiar with the name Howard Schultz? Few people. Okay, for all of those that uh, all of those that might think I've heard the name, but I can't quite tell you who it is. Uh, Sarah knows for sure. Sarah knows. Uh, Howard Schultz back in 1987, he kind of scraped together some money, a lot of money. I shouldn't say he scraped it together because it was a lot of money, but he scraped together four million dollars. Anybody in the scraping up four million business? <laughs> I, I, I mean, if, if you dare just got a free spaghetti dinner and you just raised your hand that you got four million, you better give them tickets back. <laughs> I'm loaded, but I got free dinner out of it. Howard Schultz put together four million dollars and he made a purchase of Starbucks coffee. And I'm not talking about a whole bunch of cups of it. He bought the company for just four million dollars. And this was in 1987. And it was just a small chain of coffee shops up in the Northwest. But what's crazy about it is he went all in. He laid it all on the line. He spent everything he had, four million bucks for a few coffee shops. To, to make my point, you know what his next biggest dream was? His next biggest mind-boggling driven dream was that if he could open one in Portland, Oregon. So that shows you that he had depleted his finances. He had depleted his dreaming because he shrunk it down to, if I could just open one in Portland, that was his dream. Well, as of July 2014, there are now 23,000 stores opened. Once it was regulated to being in the Northwest, now they're represented in 55 countries. Once he paid $4 million for it. But just five years later, just five years, they went public. And on the very first day of their public trading, they were the second most traded stock of the day. And they had a capitalization of $273 million in just five years. Mind-blowing. Now, it's, it's even better than that. That was just their opening day of trading. As of July 2014, just a few months ago, Starbucks is at a value of $55 billion. Four million, pretty good return on your money. 55 with a B. Billion. Billion. It's a lot of money. Check this out. Howard Schultz is on record sharing his feelings at the time of the opportunity. It's pretty, pretty strong words here. Check this out. He says, this is my moment. 
if I don't seize the opportunity, if I don't step up and if I don't step out of my comfort zone and risk it all, if I let too much time tick on, my moment's going to pass. He goes on to say, I knew that if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity, I would replay it in my mind my whole life wondering, what if? Tucked away in the New Testament book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number 4, there's a pretty powerful scripture. It doesn't get much airtime. It's not real popular. Uh, our Sunday school teachers are probably not giving this one out for memory verses, but it's extremely powerful to the believer. I share this one from the NIV, uh, particular rendering of scripture, and it simply goes like this. Colossians 4 and verse 5 Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, the King James rendering of Scripture, it says, redeem the time. So, whether you be um, a King James guy, redeem the time, or if you're willing to kind of get a little lefty liberalized and go NIV, whoa, feeling frisky. And say, <laughs> make the most of every opportunity. However you want to paint the picture, it comes down to this. Somebody say, make the most of it. Make the most of every opportunity. Of, of what opportunities? Well, the scripture doesn't say how many or how few. It doesn't say how big or how small. It just says every opportunity. Make the most of Every single opportunity. I think this is one of the most underappreciated signs of spiritual maturity that we have in the Christian body called the church. If you really are growing in your faith, you will be someone that gets to a point here's our two words that we're going to work from today. These are two big words we're going to use all day long. There's a point in your faith where you become so mature in Christ that you see and seize. You see and seize opportunities. You don't just see them, but you seize them. You make the most of them. You capture them, Michael. You make it count. You see it at hand and you tackle it and you succeed at it. But here's the catch. Most opportunities are not gift-wrapped, hand-delivered, placed on your porch, so to speak. They're not pretty. They're not attractive. They may not even be something you can recognize as an opportunity because most opportunities, whether we like it or not, are problems. Are you tracking with me? Most opportunities are dressed up in something that's far from attractive. They're messy. They're stinky. They're troubled. They're broken. They're fractured. They're unappealing. They are things that you don't want anything to do with. They're problems. But there's a secret in Scripture that I want to share with you today. A secret 
to the child of God that you have a vision, you have a, a, an ability of sight that literally does not come uh, upon you in your natural form, but it comes upon you in an element of faith that gives you an ability to see through the disguise like a Halloween costume, something scary, something ugly, something stinky, something messy. You can see right through it and see the potential of the opportunity at hand. Can I preach a little while this morning? If I give you the, uh, the what to do, well, the what to do is found in verse 5. Make the most of every opportunity. That's one thing. But what about the how to the what? How can I make the most of every opportunity? How can I redeem the time? It's one thing, Pastor Tommy, for you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. Why not help me out and tell me how I can do what I'm supposed to do? Anybody think that's a good idea? Well, why don't we back up to verse number two, if you can share that scripture with us right now. In verse number two, we see the secret. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer changes everything. But there's another element here, being watchful. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand the origin. We gotta go back. We gotta figure out this throwback word. It's being thrown back out of something in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, about the watchman. The watchman. What did the watchman do? The watchman sat high upon the wall of a city. I tried this in the first service. It didn't go too well. Uh, I, I tried to get way up there, but I'm still like three feet short of perching myself up on that. So I'm just gonna stay down here. <clears throat> the watchman would sit high upon the wall and would scan the horizon. Yeah. And what's the watchman doing? They're watching. Yeah. Watching for what? Watching for problems. Well, the watchman on the wall, they could see further than anyone else could see. The watchman on the wall could see things first before anyone else could see them. Most time, the watchman on the wall could actually see things that no one else could even see at any time. The watchmen were continuing uh, to, to, to scan the horizon looking for problems. Well, what's going on behind the wall? Well, the citizens of the city or of the town, they're, they're doing their daily duties. They're planting, they're harvesting, they're mending, they're working, they're producing, they're loving, they're nurturing, they're growing, uh, they're advancing, they're, they're doing life. But there's always got to be an element to life that is watching for problems. And the watchman would scan and view a problem on the horizon. Say it would be an enemy by the form of army or whether it be a, a natural disaster that's taking place, whatever it might be, they're identifying the problem so far in advance that they're able to call it for what it is. And as, as time goes on, there's strategy, there's plans, there, there's action taken. So where the problem is once viewed as a problem is now become an opportunity to be advanced. Yeah. Now check this out. Here's my tough job. Every sermon, you got a tough part of it. My tough job is to get you from thinking about Starbucks coffee right now. 
And my tough job is to get you from thinking about money right now. Because that whole $4 million thing, some of you are, some of you are thinking, well, I got one cousin that's got like $3,000. We're at a start right there. We could probably, you know, call another cousin. We can come up with some $4 million. We'll make $55 million. Okay, turn Starbucks off. Turn the money off. Because there's a lot bigger at play than finances. That's just one simple element of life. There are God-given opportunities that are designed and placed before you every day. Opportunities to love, opportunities to give, opportunities to laugh. Some of you haven't even taken that opportunity, and there's been some moments. You've missed it, man. You've totally missed it. You're sitting here thinking, I don't understand what's so funny. Well, well, you're really what's funny because you're the only one not laughing right now. You've missed some good opportunity today. What we see here is we are presented with two lifestyle choices. Lifestyle choices. We could choose to live in survival mode. All of you cats over here, you're, my, you're, you're our survival mode illustration. And then we have our prayer mode group. This is our prayer mode illustration team. You guys are the class, okay? You guys are the ones that are going to learn from something about this. we got prayer mode. We've got survival mode. What this tells us is we can live in survival mode our whole life. What is that? That means that you live life Always reacting to what comes at you. You're never ahead of the game. You're always playing defense. You're always in a posture of, oh no. You're always in a posture of, I've got to react. I've got to respond to what's happening. Prayer mode, on the other hand, is always ahead of the curve. Prayer mode, it's like you have this weird, crazy spiritual antenna. You've got a radar that's seeing things out there so far ahead that you're not caught off guard with anything. Survival mode, you're always caught off guard. Prayer mode, you ne- you're just at peace. You're settled. You know the difference? Well, let's go back to the illustration of verse number two with the watchman. Survival mode, you don't have any watchman. You're inside with a big wall, and out of nowhere, boom, the door swings open, and here comes some cats on some horses. They're wielding swords. They're throwing darts. And then like one real guy, you know, the sci-fi guy, way back in the Bible, he breaks out a newsie on you. You didn't even know they had those. I promise you. Hezekiah chapter 5, verse 3. There's a newsie mentioned. I hope somebody tries to find Hezekiah chapter 5, verse 3. Wouldn't that be awesome? I tell you what, I don't believe anything that preacher says. It's not in that book. It was a joke. Opportunity to laugh. You missed it. Here we go. (laughs) Survival mode, the castle swings open wide, and you're done. And now you're like hiding the kids, hiding your wives. (laughs) Did you miss it again? Man, that was off the hip, and that was funny. So you're like in panic mode. You're in survival mode, right? But prayer mode, you've got a watchman. Prayer mode, you've got like spiritual antenna going, radar going, and you're never caught off guard. Why? Because you're always praying. You're always ahead. You don't see problems for problems. You see problems for it's a potential opportunity. Survival mode, it's a big, nasty, stinky, scary 
messy problem. And we go into panic mode. We call the, we, 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 we call the 911 hotline, man. We're done. Our world's falling apart. Everything's crumbling beneath our feet. This, it's awful. It's a nightmare. Prayer mode, it's all good. It looks like a problem, but you watch, babe. We're going to get through this. We're going to come out over the other side of this. Everything's going to be cool because we prayed about it. We see it for what it is. It, it's on the attack. We're being attacked, but we're good because we know who's doing the attacking and we know who's going to win. We're prayed up. We're right. We got radar going. Prayer mode. So, so for the class, did you guys catch any of that? Ooh, tough class. Tough, 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 tough class. Get the tape. Okay. I think that God is so in the business of making sure that we meet the right people. I think he's in the business of putting us in the right places. God is in the business of keeping us at the right, on the right time. And if we truly feel like he orders our steps as the word of God says, if we will believe the promises of God, then he's always putting us in the right place at the right time with the right people. Here's the issue. Most of the time, the right place looks like the wrong place to us. The right people look like the wrong people to us. The right place looks like the wrong place to us. Time, people, place, none of it makes sense because it doesn't look right. Opportunities very seldom look like opportunities. They look like problems. And if you're not in prayer mode, you will disconnect from the right people. You will walk out of the right place and you will live on the wrong time. Because it looked problematic to you. Because you were in survival mode. And God's put you there with this divine designed intersection in your life. But because you're out of whack. Because you've not spent time with him. Because you're not on the wall watching in the distance. God sent you the right person with the right word on the right time, in the right place, but because it didn't look the way you thought it should look, you've disconnected from it. I don't think there's a better example of this than a beautiful young gal named Esther. Esther chapter number four, if you want to find it, we'll, we'll, we'll be there shortly. Esther chapter four is going to kind of be our, our uh, jumping off point this morning. But this is a crazy story. This story, it sounds like something right off HBO. Because we got a king with a cool name. And I'm only going to say it once because I really don't trust my ability to say it multiple times and get it right. So Spirit of the Lord, speak through me. King Xerxes, that's right, I did it. We're going to call him King X. King X. King X is a troubled little fella. He's got some big issues. King X is jacked up. I think he's got a little identity problem going. Uh, he, he's kind of got some moments where he's, where he's weaker than stronger. 
Uh, he's got some machismo problems. Uh, we all think that's just come south, moving north. Trust me, this was way back when. We got a little machismo issue going on because there's one part in the very first portion of Esther where, where King X, he wants, he wants to talk to his wife. So he, he did that whole, that whole, you know what I'm talking about? That whole, yo, he, he's, he's snapping, right? She didn't come. Well, he like put the M in machismo because when she did not respond, he killed her. I didn't make that up. He just takes her out. He kills her because she didn't come running when he, I tried this one time. I ain't lying to you. Worst mistake of my life. I should have never. Things ain't been the same since. I watched some of y'all, y'all always snap, and I'm like, how they do that? I did that one time, and it backfired on me. Man, all you Hispanic brothers in here that just sit around with a little bell on your recliner, I don't get it. I don't get it. I tried that, and Denora, like, put the bell in my ear, came out the other end. She goes, I dare you to ring it again. So he snaps, he snaps, she doesn't come, he kills her. Well, some times go by, King X is lonely. He's like, probably shouldn't have killed her. She was a good girl. She cooked good meals. Took care of the house. See the machismo coming in? I never had to vacuum like that Tommy guy. Never had to fold clothes like that Tommy guy. Oh, I sure wish he would have come to me when I snapped. I wouldn't have to kill her. He's lonely. And this is hilarious. Like all good men that have been married before. On wife number two, he thinks there needs to be a beauty pageant. Isn't it funny how on your second round, it just happens to be, you know, you've ever bumped into that guy Hey, man, nice to meet you. Is this your daughter? No, that's my wife. And you're like, you've been married before. Well, can <laughs> You won't say it, but you know good and well I'm telling the gospel truth. So King X is like, I need another girl in my life. Let's have a little beauty pageant. Okay, I'm going to pass on that one. Ooh, that one needs help. Maybe not this one. Looker. He finds her. She's the winner. She is gorgeous. Well, here's where the story's all messed up. This is why it's something off of cable television. He's ordered the genocide, the murder, the wiping clean of an entire group of people off the face of the earth known as the Jews. He has this guy in his ear saying, we need to get rid of the Jews. There's this one cat, you know, he won't kind of like bow down and, 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 and make me feel special. So I just want to nullify the whole family. We want to take care of everybody. Sure, we'll knock them out, murder them all, take care of them. But in the meanwhile, I've got to find a wife. So when he finds this one good-looking, smoking wife, her name's Esther, here's where it gets crazy. He has no idea that she's Jewish. 
So he's ordered everybody to die, but yet now he's attracted through this one good-looking Jew. Now let's think about it from Esther's point of view. I'm hooking up with a guy that's fixing to murder me, and trust me, he'll do it. He's already done it to you-know-who. He'll do it again. But she had a crazy uncle. Anybody have a crazy uncle? <laughs> Whole nother topic, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, got three of them. And they're over there. She's got a crazy uncle. This crazy uncle says, hey, I need a favor. Sure, Uncle Mordecai. What can I do for you? You need to go into the king. Can't do it. You, no, trust me. You need to go into the king, and you need to ask him if he'll change his mind on killing all of us. Uh, I can't do it. Why can't you do it? I, I'm not allowed. You're hot. I know you're my niece, but trust me. You can get away with anything with this guy. Are you sure? I promise you. Just go see the king. Everything's going to work out good. Ask him if he'll change his mind on things. Here's where we are. Esther chapter 4, verse 13. Then Mordecai, I commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house. Don't you think that you're going to live if he's going to kill all the Jews? In other words, he's going to find out that you're Jewish and you're... For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Check this out. Here's a classic phrase from the scripture. Some of you are familiar with this. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This is your moment. This is, this is my moment. This is your moment. For what? To use your looks. Really? Yes, out of all the people that the king could have chosen, he chose you. Really, yes, but don't think that it was by accident. God's placed you there. But I've got a real big problem. He wants me to die. It's not a problem. This is an opportunity for you to change history. How? By just doing what you do. What do I do? Look good. Okay, what do you want me to do? Just go in the king and ask him to change his mind on a few things. Okay, I can do this. Verse 15, Esther bade them to return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in, in Shushan and fast ye for me. Fast for me. We're going to the watchmen. We're going to the prayer warriors. We're going to make this spiritual don't eat or drink for three days or nights. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king. And by the way, you know it's against Persian law. But if I perish, I perish. Because I will not spend the rest of my life wondering what if. I'm not going to hide my identity. I'm going to say yes to what God's asking me to do. And I'm going to lay it all on the altar. And I'm going to take my chance. I'm going to risk it all. And here she comes she opens the door and that mean king x 
says, Ooh. Hola, como estas? <laughs> and she says, I need to ask you something, anything you want. Will you? Yes. Well, let me ask you first. Will you? Absolutely. Will you sign up? I will sign whatever you need. Will you sign that you're not going to kill the Jewish people? By all means. There you go. For such a time as this, her moment her opportunity. And to make the long story short, the very guy that asked for the Jewish nation to, to be murdered ended up dying the very death that he planned for Mordecai. The crazy uncle, because he sees his moment. He was given a signet ring of authority and given a high-ranking position in the kingdom. Because Esther seized her moment. Not only was she spared, but her people were spared. Because she was willing to pray, she could see the moment at hand, and she would seize the moment at hand. Everything in this faith walk starts with vision greater than what your simple created eyes can behold. It must go into the element of faith. Faith, being able to see beyond what our carnal nature can see. I know that some of you are thinking about your business as a problem, thinking about your marriage. Your marriage has turned into a problem. You look at your finances, it's a, it's a problem. You look at your spiritual state, problem. You look at your emotions, they're all over the map. It's a problem. You look at your physical body, it's health. It's a problem. I know everything that you're seeing doesn't look as pretty and as well put together as you would like it to look. So therefore, you almost want to disconnect because it's messy. There's a crisis. It's not pretty. But if you will shift out of survival mode into prayer mode just for a moment, the most troubled, rocky marriage has the most potential to have an opportunity of restoration like none other. The most broken, fractured financial status is like a ball sitting on a tee to be turned and a miracle, a financial miracle could happen for you. When you look at your business, you've been busting it at the seams for 5, 10, 20 years, and it just seems like nothing's turned. You're almost ready to pull the plug on it and say that you missed the dream. It, it, it must have just been a nightmare. Can I tell you that it's not over yet? If you'll come out of survival mode and get into prayer mode, if you'll just look at it for what God can do through it, it could be a story of Howard Schultz taking $4 million and being valued at $55 billion. That can't happen for me. It won't happen for you. 
if you choose to see it as the monster that your eyes behold. It will never happen for you if you just are determined to view it as another problem. But if you can shift and become spiritual and begin to fast, begin to pray, begin to make it about God and not about you. If you'll begin to put it in his hands and take it out of your hands. If you'll take it off your shoulders and put it on his shoulders. Why don't we just sum it up with this? If you'll just put it on an altar and let him have it and you walk away from it. It's amazing how a problem can become an opportunity that would change not just your life, but everyone around you. I want you to stand this morning. Our worship team can come quickly. I want to close with this today. If you'll just hang in there with me for a moment. Can you hang in there for a few minutes? Everybody say amen if you can. And if you can't, say amen and just repent for lying. So hang in there for a moment, okay? Hang in there. Here we go. We're coming down for a landing for the most important part of this sermon. When it comes to seeing and seizing opportunities, there's not a greater opportunity to be sought after and to be claimed than the opportunity for eternal life. This is what's interesting about this topic called salvation and becoming a follower of Christ. You could actually view Christianity as a problem. How is that possible? Christ himself was viewed as a problem. Jesus wasn't a rock star. He was a problem. He was a problem for religious scholars. He was a problem for political figures. He would gather multitudes of people together and preach to them the good news. And boy, that wasn't popular. But little did they know that the problem, Jesus Christ, was the answer to everlasting life. And time would reveal, scales would fall off eyes, and Mario, people would start seeing through their faith rather than the color of his skin. They would see beyond his going against protocol of the law. They would see beyond him rubbing political figures and political order the wrong way. And they would see him as the very Lamb of God. And here we are today. There's a large group of you that have now found that Christ was the greatest opportunity that ever came your way. What I need to do for the next few minutes is just to get to someone considering something with me. Would you consider making a transfer of some funds? And the cool thing is, I'm not talking about your money. Imagine an account that holds all of your sin debt. Every poor mistake that you've made, whether you be 15 or 50, we all have an account that holds some mistakes made. 
The difficulty of that account is that it's snowballing. It's growing. And if it's not managed and if it's not addressed, it'll get out of hand real quick. Over here, I want you to imagine an account that holds the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Every unbelievable gift that Christ has given to the world. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of hope. The gift of new beginnings. The gift of a fresh start. The gift of a clean mind and a clean heart. The gift of a restored marriage. The gift of equaled out finances. The gift of a healthy relationship with kids. Christ has given the gift of health. The gift of level emotions. The gift of prosperity, abundance, blessing. You ready for this? I close with this simple thought. Just trying to present something that maybe some of you can connect with. If you'll just transfer all of your debts and allow God to transfer what Christ has done, heaven will call it square. Heaven will call it balanced. Well, how do I get my stuff over there and how do I receive his? Receive it. Seal the deal by faith. Take the opportunity to make it happen. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes as I close. In every section of pews that are represented in this sanctuary, I'm reaching for your hearts. If you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're disconnected from the Lord, if it's been a while since you have felt His presence in your life, you've just drifted. It wasn't intentional. You've just, you just realize right now in this sobering moment that you've drifted from the Lord. I want to present you an opportunity. I know you view that as a problem, but it's an opportunity to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know that you need to come back to the Lord in every section in this building, would you just lift your hand if that's you that I'm talking to? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you in the back. Thank you right here in the middle. Thank you, sir. In every section, lift your hand quickly. I want to see you because I want to pray for you today. Thank you, couple. Thank you, students. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. For those that have their hands lifted up, you are a representative of the honest. You represent the vulnerable. You represent those that are willing to take a risk and seize an opportunity. You, with your hands lifted up, you represent a group of people that are willing to trust. You're going to trust the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to restore you, to save you, to reach out and rescue you. I want to pray for you right now. Everyone that had their hand lifted up, this is for you. And I ask you to join me in this prayer as we close. Father, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for these men, women, and students, and even family units that have their hands lifted up. I pray that they will admit their need of a Savior, that they will confess to you that they are a sinner and that they need you in their life. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they will admit that they are disconnected from the very presence of God and that they are seeking to return, possibly even come for the first time to restoration and healing of the Spirit. I pray right now for every person that has their hand lifted up to take the plunge and to say, this day I make you Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I confess you as my Savior and I take on your name right now as my Lord. If you had your hand lifted up, could I invite you to come quickly to this altar? I want to be able to pray personally with you. If you have your hand lifted up this morning and you're ready to go all in with Jesus Christ, whether it's a returning of relationship, whether it's a new relationship, today is going to be a blessed day for you.